Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, we are talking about what it's like to root for a rebuilding team in the NBA. And to do that, I've got just the best person I can imagine (laughs) to talk about this with. It's Andrew Schlecht, host of the Down to Dunk podcast, our tremendous Oklahoma City podcast. He is the host of the Saturday Slam and Jam on the Athletic NBA feed. He's around the Athletic NBA show. He's around the Daily Ding occasionally. Just uh, an all, all, you know, uh, just a multi-purpose podcast host. Andrew, how's it going, man? Uh, it's going great. It's going very, very good. After a loss to the Kings, I'm feeling energized. <laughs> it's so interesting, and that's why I wanted to talk about this. I've got my Pitt Panthers hoodie on, which is why I'm wearing <laughs> yellow, because I needed to get within the mindset of something that is desperately in need of a rebuild. Yeah. Something that is desperately in the need of a reboot. And good God, does Pitt basketball <laughs> desperately need a reboot? Uh Andrew, over the last, uh, what, let's go with decade, I would say, you've rooted for a contender on some level, right? Like maybe not always a title contender, but a team that was trying to win games really up until last year and has always been competently run and successful in achieving their goals. But over the course of the last year and a half, let's say, basically, I think the point where you can really pinpoint it was like the 28 game losing streak or whatever it was, <laughs> right? where <Yes. laughs> wins just went out the window. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, there's no, there's no circumstance here where we're trying to win games. Um, I, I wanted to kind of just do a podcast about what it's like rebuild, like rooting for a rebuilding team. And just how does one continue to build that level of excitement and enjoyment from the fan base? Because Oklahoma City has done that somehow. You look at the TV ratings just from general fans. Like, I think that, you know, on the Twitter side, you're always going to have like the heavily engaged fans that tend to run on Twitter spheres for every team, right? Those fans are always going to be there. Like they're always going to be around. They're always going to be engaged. They're always going to be excited. But in Oklahoma city's case, I I think that it's really interesting that they just did this uh, announcement of what the local TV ratings look like for each market. And Oklahoma city was in the top half, despite the fact that they are the fourth worst team currently in the NBA right now. Does yep. that sound right to you? Yeah, that's um, right. And I, I was really interested upon seeing that to kind of just discuss how this entire 
thing works and how mm-hmm. it works from a fan perspective more than from like a team perspective. Cause look, I talk about like teams rebuilding like every freaking day on this podcast. I feel like on some level, yeah. but we often don't talk about it from the fan perspective and just, there's all this like consternation and hand wringing about, Oh, like the fan, it's so hard on the fans whenever teams lose and it's so hard. You know, it's like concern trolling on some level. right uh about fans and i think that you guys have had like the best attitude about it like that i can remember you guys and the philly situation whenever sam hinky was there was just almost like a like a culture war it felt like on some (laughs) level between like the radio hosts and then you know spike and mike on the rights to ricky sanchez like it was this weird thing but oklahoma city it feels like everyone is engaged and everyone's just like kind of rolling with it that's my preamble to this. I, I would just love to hear your perspective to start on just kind of all of what I said. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting shifting because when I started podcasting, it was right after the Thunder went to the NBA Finals. And it's like, it's all about winning. It's all about like, what is this small piece going to do to get us closer to a championship? Now, following this team is like, you live in the theoretical. Everything is theoretical. Even the guys that are on the team, it's like when we watch what Josh Giddy's doing, like he's putting up these yeah. historical numbers, like crazy passer, crazy offensive rebounder, just kind of a strange player. And like we can't even allow ourselves to like enjoy this now. We have to think about what he can be in three years. Right. You know? And then it's on the top of it, you check. guys have you guys have the most theoretical player in the NBA in Poku that I'm sure we'll talk about later. Yeah. But like it's he's like the perfect encapsulation of this entire thing. And without yeah, like you mentioned Shay, like Shay's really freaking good right now. Yep. But like he is somewhat theoretical still, like not in terms of being a great basketball player, but in terms of the way that he'll work on like a great winning team, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It it's theoretical. And then it's also you live in the bizarro world, right? Like where you you want you're rooting for your team to lose in the end like like there's a part of you that died a little bit when earlier in the season when Lou Dort steals the ball from De'Aaron Fox and takes it down and scores the game-winning basket like that's exciting but you're also like no <laughs> you know <laughs> and it's just a weird feeling like the Thunder won in Indiana the other night you should be excited about that beating this team with Tyrese Halliburton like and you're this skeleton crew of a team where basically all of your bench guys are out you don't have josh and you're playing with essentially shea trey man darius baisley and the oklahoma city blue and you still go up there and you win and i had conversations with lots of thunder fans over the weekend that just i'd just be walking by them like i was at church and i'm walking by them and they're like oh i can't we really needed that loss (laughs) <laughs> you know, we really needed to get that loss. I'm like, I know, man. I know that was a bad one. Uh, and you know what? I, I would credit the the guys at Tankathon because to have a place to go to, you know, after tons of after every game or like every week, like you go and you check on it. Like there's there wasn't a place to do that, and it's it's mm-hmm. actually kind of a it's a really interesting website and a really interesting place for tanking teams to go to and for fans to go to because it 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 encapsulates the bizarro world that we live in now 
Well, I guess that like I, I would follow that. And I think that's a really good encapsulation of the entire thing here. I, I would follow that just by asking this question. It feels like you said this is not just like an internet fan based thing where Thunder fans are not they're not trying to win games like they don't get upset when the team loses yeah. it feels like it's a fan base wide thing where team where the fans are rooting for the team to lose i'm not sure look i'm sure there are examples out there of teams that have done this and fans that have like jumped totally into this like this yeah but i'm not sure i can remember one that is as fully engaged in buying into the tank in the way that the Thunder fan base has bought into the tank is still watching games, like is very happy to watch games. Like the level to which Oklahoma City ratings are better than like Denver Nuggets ratings right now is insane to me, right? Like fans are still tuning in. They're excited. How do we think that the Thunder and how do we think that the fan base in general has gone about cultivating a situation that just fosters this level of excitement and anticipation, knowing the results essentially going into the game? Like we know that the Thunder are basically a 70% chance to lose every single game that they play, if not more. Mm -hmm. So how do we think that the team and the fan base has continued to have that level of enthusiasm despite that. I think some of it is the last draft that the Thunder had is turning out to actually be a pretty good one. And on draft night, it didn't feel like that. It didn't seem like that, especially at the lottery last year. It felt like, oh my gosh, like what are they going to do? They've got to trade up. If they don't trade up, it's going to be a disaster. It turns out like they've got some good players and Guys you want to tune in to watch. Honestly, like Shea Gilles Alexander is a guy you want to tune in to watch. I think that Trey Mann is becoming one of those guys on a nightly basis where you're like, I want to watch this dude play basketball. Like he's so smooth. Like his his handle's smooth. His step back is really, really something fun to watch. He gets to the basket. He's got these leaning floaters. I think people like watching him. Uh, and Honestly, I'd, I'd be really curious to see what the ratings were last season whenever they were going through their losing streak because I cannot imagine they were very good. Like People were not as engaged with that team. Like Even though like Poku was playing a ton and you're still trying to figure out who some of these other guys were, like that team was not fun to watch. This team right. is just a little bit different. You have Mark Degnall, who's got another year under his belt, who's done a really good job with these guys. And then the, the Josh Giddy-Trey Mann duo – has has brought a lot of light to this team, honestly. And right. given, I think people feel better about this team in the future because of those two than we did at the beginning of the season where it's like, well, like, like really what is Josh? Like he's this big passer that we don't really know if he can ever score the basketball. Like Trey Mann felt like a reach on draft night. Like, is he ever going to defend at the NBA level enough to make an impact? Yeah. You know, there's there were just so many questions where now it's like, wow, like, Josh Giddy is probably going to be on the all rookie first team and Trey Mann may not make the all rookie team, but he's certainly somebody to watch for in the future. You know, there's, there's more excitement around those guys. And even guys like Poku, 
who two months ago looked like, oh my gosh, like is he are they gonna are they gonna cut him? Like are they gonna send him yeah. back to Europe? Like now yeah. he he looks he's looking more like an NBA player. Even last night he had some moments where you're like, okay, like he he drove the lane and absorbed contact. He had a block uh, at the rim that looked really nice. He dove on the he dove on the floor last night for a loose ball, which I don't think I've ever seen Poku do that before. So he had like a finish through contact last night. It was yes, insane. There and he he is putting in the work, and they have a very specific plan with him that is slow. And we forget how young he is. Like he is still one of the youngest players in the NBA, yeah. and they are taking their time with him. And you know. Every NBA fan base is impatient and ready to move on, you know, from guys if they don't see progress right away. But we're seeing slow incremental progress from Poku that is at least encouraging. How much of this this enthusiasm about this team that is tanking it has to do with the way that the organization has positioned it? I think that that's such a critical thing that the organization has done a really, really good job, in my opinion, of positioning this both in terms of roster moves that they have made in terms of like going out and getting a billion picks, going out and actually putting in the work to make themselves a viable long-term threat as opposed to like sitting in that middle ground while trying to lose games and not having a ton of assets. Like, I think that, you know, I'll do respect to the Rockets, but like you'd rather be in Oklahoma city situation right now, if only just because you have all of the extra picks moving forward. In addition to uh, the players that you have on the roster already. Yep. I, I, how much of this level of hope, do we think has to do with the way the organization has gone about uh, its business? Like, is this, is this like a specific situation or do we think this can be like actually built out to other situations for teams that are tanking, that aren't playing particularly well? Like I'll give you an example. Like it was insane to me that Houston couldn't build a market for Eric Gordon to trade yeah. him and get like additional picks at the trade deadline. Yep. Um, this is another team that's not competing. Uh, you know, should they have just like taken a, you know, late first round pick? I mean, honestly, like I think that maybe the picks that were being offered weren't that great. Right. And maybe mm-hmm. they want to keep Eric Gordon. I think if Houston's going to do that and then like move him at the, uh, move him at the draft, I think if Houston's going to do that, they need to like sit Eric Gordon and yeah. keep him wrapped in bubble wrap before mm-hmm. the draft because yeah. he's more valuable to them as a trade asset at this point. And I think that Oklahoma city in their front office has recognized uh, how important that is to their build and how important, you know, not to say they don't treat people like players and like human beings, but they understand the asset value of assets. And I think that that like middle ground is a really difficult thing to hit. Yeah. And Oklahoma city hits it really well because they have this uh, genuine organizational uh, competence and Mm -hmm. genuine organizational care for everyone that seems to come in. It's a family based atmosphere. Like it's a, 
how much do we think that the organization has to do with this ability to instill hope in the fan base? I think it's almost all of it because we've seen teams try to do this and it all, almost everything in the NBA goes back to who owns the team and do they trust the management? There is complete trust and alignment from ownership to Sam Presti. And then that yeah. is passed down to Mark who's passed down to everybody else. And that is like, like that's the number one thing. Cause yeah. I, why did the rebuild not work in Orlando? Like, why has it not worked in Orlando for forever? Well, it's because they get antsy and they make the GM do something yeah. and then they fire the GM because they did the thing that they told them to do. You know, that's, yeah. that's not going to happen in Oklahoma city. So I and think now the, they're back to square one. They're rebuilding yeah. again with their young players. Yep. And that's not going to happen in Oklahoma city because there's alignment there. And I mean, frankly, if ownership came to Sam and said, Hey, you need to be in the playoffs next year. He'd be like, okay, well I have a, 10,000 picks, or he's he literally has 38 picks that he can play with right now <laughs> and say, okay, well, I can probably feel the team with those 38 picks. They're not going to do that though. They're very much aligned. And then also they have a track record already. They've done this already. Right. They did this with the Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Serge Ibaka teams. Like they did that. And then you lose Kevin, you have this incredible season with Russ, and then you build another team that, wildly underachieved with Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Mello, Jeremy Grant, Stephen Adams. Like, that's a good team. Like, go back and look at those rosters. Those were they should good, have been good teams. Yes, those should have been good teams. They were not. However, you just watched this GM take what looked like – I mean, I remember I was talking to uh, – I was talking to another beat writer the day of the Paul George trade. And I was like, man, the Thunder are absolutely screwed. Like they've got these like bloated contracts and Ennis Cantor and uh, Victor Oladipo. And like, what are you like? Those guys really aren't that good. Like what in the world are they going to do? They're completely stuck. And then within like six hours, like, oh, they have Paul George now. (laughs) Right. You know, and then the Paul George team doesn't work out. And it's like, oh, now you have a like blue chipper guy on a rookie scale contract and a billion picks. Oh, right. Okay. And like now, and then they take that entire roster and then flip it over. And like Sam just has, has proven through time that like, you can trust me, you know, yep. through the Durant era, through the Russell Westbrook era, flipping over to like this weird Chris Paul year where you're like, holy crap. Like he just successfully traded Russell Westbrook for one of the best players in the NBA plus picks. How do you right. do this? And then he flips Chris for something good. Like everybody was like, oh yeah, they're going to, they just probably need to buy out Chris. or they need to go ahead and attach two of their picks to get rid of Chris. Like, no, actually I'm going to get an asset in a deal for Chris. Right. And now they flipped everything so much that like the talent act, the, the pick acquisition time is like close to an end and it's time to just, and, and maybe you can churn some of those picks into others like they did last year with the 16th pick. But Sam has just proven time and time again, like you can trust what I'm going to do. And Sam has made it very, very clear publicly that this is the plan. It's going to be slow and they're going to, they're going to try to get high end talent. Uh, And frankly, it's just because the Oklahoma city market can't get anybody any other way. I mean, the best free agent that's ever come to Oklahoma city is probably Nerland's Noel. (laughs) And true. 
Thinking I mean, of, like I'm really trying to think back. Yeah. Patrick like, Patterson, Nerlens Noel, Anthony Morrow, like those are the guys that that you can point to and say, is that like you you honestly can't even use that. Like don't don't use free right. agency. Just don't do it. They're you're gonna use the draft and you're gonna use trade. And then with trade, we saw the way that Oklahoma City operated with Paul George, where it was like I mean, the agreement seemed like behind the scenes it was, hey, please, for the love of God, don't leave. And if you do want to leave, sign here first, and then we'll get you wherever you want to go. Like, please, right. please, please don't leave, <laughs> you know? And that was, I mean, the Paul George era was just a blip, right? And if you're trading really for was. somebody, when you're trading for somebody, it's going to be a blip, especially here in Oklahoma City. If you don't win at a high level, there's not incentive to stay here. So you yeah. need guys on rookie scale deals that you have, con- you know, controllable contracts if you want to build something that's going to last for longer than three years. So I think Thunder fans understand that. And, and Sam has done a good job of publicly like putting that out there. Uh, and I think that fans are just in like we want another long, successful run with a team. And the only way to do that is to draft high and to pick the right guys in the draft. Like that's, it's really the only way it would ever happen in Oklahoma City. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for Nord VPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, 
Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. The Sam Presti aspect of this is really interesting on a number of levels, I think, because when asking the question of, is this replicable in other markets, Mm -hmm. right? Is this idea of maintaining fan engagement while continually losing games, while um, having people excitement and also still maintaining your ceiling as an organization, just from a basketball ops perspective, it feels like all of those factors and all of those things can be very difficult to align all in one swift motion, right? And Sam Presti is obviously recognized as one of the best general managers in the NBA for a reason. And Mm -hmm. he is, he is uh, our president of basketball operations. I believe he's the president of basketball operations. That's right. That's the official title. But uh, Sam Presti is recognized as one of the best NBA executives for a reason. And I guess that where my next question here is, is there anything that, Sam does that other organizations can take away. Like, look, I think that what makes Sam Presti so good is that he's not only really good at, you know, understanding trade value and understanding the marketplace and being able to synthesize a lot of information. Um, He also is a good scout. Like, I don't know that he's the best scout that Oklahoma City has necessarily, but he's a good scout that listens to his other scouts that that he has faith in and trusts and everything. Um, He also cultivates like a familial relationship. Like, like I'm sure you've talked to Sam Presti, you know, I've talked to him, I think once or twice. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's, you feel really warm when you talk to him. Like he's a really good human being and just like a good person. And you can understand a world where that filters down through the rest of the organization. And it's, I wonder how much of what he does and what he does can be taken away for other teams that are trying to build uh, in the way that Oklahoma city is now, obviously he has more, ownership uh trust because he's built that trust over a sense of many years right but is there anything beyond that ownership trust that he does that can be taken away by other teams that are rebuilding that will allow them to have success not only in terms of roster building long term but also in terms of just like fan engagement and keeping fans enthused about the product Mm mm-hmm he, I'm reading this book right now called Atomic Habits, and it is like every time I read a chapter, it's like, oh my gosh, like this is Sam Presti. Like it talks about how <laughs> it, like one of the first stories in it is about uh, the cycling team that tried to make one percent improvements mm-hmm. every single day. Whether it was like we tried to, we make sure that we're sleeping on the right pillow today. That's what we do today. And we get better in that way. Sam is seemingly always looking for any sort of advantage that he can get. And 
one thing that he's talked very publicly about is like he's just extremely analytical when it comes yeah. to team building. That it's and and you can see it, and everybody loves to talk about this trade, but you can see it most in the trade that he made at the draft, where they traded the 16th pick for two future picks, where it was they could have had Alperin Shengun. And mm-hmm. everybody feels like, oh, he made such a huge mistake not taking Shengun, like he's such a good player. The the value, like everything has a value. I think that right. that's another thing that that he that he does well is that everything has a, has a value. And if you exceed the value, boom, we're yep. go, it's going to go. Yep. And I think that he, he thinks about the draft that way. He thinks about players that way. And I think that that's something like he's, he's not an emotional person when it comes to decisions. Like he yeah. is going to make the best decision for the organization. Now, I do think that there, in in other ways, he does try to cultivate like family and stuff like that within the team. Even in, like I think you look at guys like Mike Muscala and Kenrich Williams, who could mm-hmm. probably play on a different team and be really good. Like Mike Muscala yep. has been one of the best shooting bigs this season in the NBA, and nobody but John Hollinger ever talks about it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so here's here's a funny story. I wanted to yeah. put Mike Muscala on the trade big board that yeah. Danny, Seth, and I do every year. Yeah, and we the board was like 50 names long, and we were trying to cut it down a little bit. Yeah, and we got told like, yeah, just like get get rid of Mike. Like, no no fans really care about Mike Muscala, and that's true. But like, Mike's good. Mike's like a good versatile good. Um, NBA big that can shoot. And he loves Oklahoma City, and he loves being here, and he's bought in. And I think he's a guy that I would like to have around here long term. And the Thunder value those kind of things. I mean, you look at the first rebuild and the way they kept Nick Collison. They probably yeah. could have gotten something for Nick Collison if they were to put Many him out on over. the trade market. Yeah. They decided yeah. that it would be better for the team overall to have somebody here that understands the culture of the team. They understand the city. They love the city. They want to be here, and they work yeah every single day. And that's what Mike Muscala and Kenrich Williams do. And yeah. Kenrich is a guy that everybody mentioned at the trade. Day. Like, oh, he'd be great for the jazz. Oh man. He'd be great for the Mavericks and on and on and on. You can name every single team in the league. Kenrich Williams can help them. I think the thunder could have gotten something for Kenrich Williams at the trade deadline. I oh, think I'm if sure they were, they if they were willing to trade him, they could have gotten maybe two seconds or maybe a late first. They could have gotten something for him. They, didn't in part i think because he embodies what the thunder want a lot of these guys to feel like they feel pride for being a part of the thunder organization they work really hard and they set a tone in the locker room and those and i do believe sam and the team overall values those things still like as much as they want draft picks and they do want draft picks and they still want more yes they value the people too and you know you can you can just go and watch like any of the like Chris Paul after his trade or Paul George after he was traded like what did he what did they say about the Thunder and how they handle their business like nobody's like man the Thunder really don't know what they're doing they don't really know how to handle the business like they're all like yeah they worked hand in hand with me I knew what was happening the entire time 
You right. know, no, like no one's caught by surprise by any of this stuff. So, and I, I think that's where the difference is between what Sam Hinkie did yes. and what Sam Presti is doing. Yeah. Right. Agreed. And I think Sam Hinkie like did a great job with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think that yep. the results of what Sam Hinkie did are being borne out now with having Joel Embiid mm-hmm. and being able to pair him with James Harden, having all the picks that they had that coalesced into different players that were moved around for other different players and ultimately ended up being James Harden, right? Mm -hmm. Every pick, every acquisition, every signing, it's all interconnected for future signings many years down the road oftentimes. But where I think Sam went wrong with agencies and people, and by the way, like you talk to people that know Sam Minky, they will tell you he's, like a great human being. Yeah. He's like a yes. great person to talk to. Um, I know literally three people that have told me like some of the best like conversations they've had um, professionally have been with Sam Hinkie. Um, So I, I don't mean this as a slight at him, but I think that he did everything so secretively and, and so in the dark that it left people feeling cold about their experience and feeling Mm -hmm. like they weren't a piece of something that was building towards something as opposed to just being a means to an end. And I think that that's, it's a very slight difference, but it's a real difference in the way that the Thunder have acted in the way that the Sixers acted a long time ago. And I think it's a big piece of why you're able to continue to have that level of fan engagement across the board. And look, Philadelphia is a big fucking city. Oklahoma city Mm -hmm. is, you know, a a different marketplace. Right. And I do think that market matters here in a lot of different respects, but I think at the end of the day, like you just got to be straight up with people. Like you got to be honest, you got to be genuine with them. Like say like when you're here, your family, what is the, um, is that, is that Olive Garden, if I remember correctly? That's Olive uh, Garden. <laughs> sorry, I haven't seen an Olive Garden ad in 18 months living in Australia. But uh, yeah, it's like when you're here, your family, it's like yeah. we're in an Olive Garden, but you know, we're going to make the best move for us. And I think that that's a hard balancing act sometimes for players to understand. But somehow the Thunder have found that perfect little pathway to be able to do this in some respect. Yeah, and, and something that's really helped is the blue and the fact that they, I mean, they're playing in the same arena. Their practice facilities are just a few miles apart. They can have, they can kind of do what the Sixers did, but with two teams. And you get to have the roster flexibility of two teams to try some stuff out and not have to just continually throw guys aside. Like you can throw guys down to the G League, but you're giving these guys a chance and it gives the Thunder so much more flexibility. I mean, I'm, I wasn't joking whenever I said the Thunder beat Indiana with, like, three guys in the blue. Uh, yeah. Everybody who played for the Thunder the other night, besides Shea, Trey, or Trey even played for the blue, besides uh, Shea and Baisley, had played for the blue this year. Yeah. You know, they, they really utilize the G League to help these guys. And that, to me, is another big thing, is that the Thunder made it, that they made that a priority. Like they wanted, they had them in Tulsa, which is a two hour drive. And for most NBA teams, that is totally cool. Like that's close yeah. enough. No worries. We'll just send them up the turnpike 
and they're in Tulsa in two hours. Like the Thunder were like, that is not good enough. We need them here. And they played in an arena that was across the street. Now that arena um, isn't there anymore, they're like, just play here. Play, mm-hmm. play where we play and we'll work the schedule. To me, that's another thing that Sam and his team have done that has been wildly important to what they want to do because they can send Poku down there for two weeks and it's not a big deal. And they can still have like a really keen eye on him. You know, they can well, and keep him around the team too. Like that's yes. the thing. Like call him back up. They him... did that. They've done that. They have games at noon. They'll call him up, and he'll be sitting on the bench with the team. He may not play, but he'll be right. sitting on the bench with the guys that night. Well, the the bigger thing with Poku too is that a lot of G League teams don't have like incredible like weight training facilities, right? Yeah. And they don't have like NBA level um, amenities. Right. It's not to say that like like the G League is improving. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like in terms of um, the amount of money that's being filtered down from NBA teams to them in order to help facilitate the development of those young players. Mm-hmm. But it's different, like literally having the NBA organization right there. Oh, like you are right there. Yeah. Able to take advantage of the amenities that the NBA team has. So that when you send guys down, you feel like they're not losing valuable developmental time, you know, watching tape with the NBA coaching staff, because you can call them up and just be like, Hey, you're in this film session. Let's go. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can call them up and just be like, Hey, you're in the weight room. Let's do this thing. You just played for the, you played for the blue. You were down there for three hours. You're back up. Let's do this. Yep. And the blue amenities are not bad. I've been in their facilities a few times. Like they have a chef on staff. They've got a really nice weight room. The the court is really nice. They've got offices. Every like it's it's a nice facility. It's it actually used to be an old uh, roller rink called the Rock and Roller Rink that they converted into. Look at this uh, inside info. I love it. (laughs) Let's do it. The Rock and Roller Rink. Have you done have you done a down to dunk event at the Rock and Roller Rink Oh, yeah, I, this is this is too much information, but me and my friend Alex Spears who does the Slam Jam Pod and Down to Dunk with me, we used to play music together and we used to, we played many concerts at the Rock and Roller Rink back in the That's day. That's beautiful. That's a dream. <laughs> Unbelievable. I love it so much. Oh, yes. Um to shift gears from that beautiful moment there, because uh, I'm on the slam and jam after, and you better believe that. Yes, we're, we're bringing that up to Spears. Um, the thing that I think can often be the biggest struggle with tanking teams is the coaching staff, because coaches don't want to lose; they're judged by wins and losses for future jobs, right? Yep. Like Mark Dagnall is going to be like if he was to get fired tomorrow at the end of the day, his win loss record is going to be a fucking disaster. Despite (laughs) the fact that I actually think he's a really good coach. Mm -hmm. Like you watch thunder games. They are interconnected. They are smart. They are, they communicate really, really well. I think that he's very clearly a good basketball coach. And by the Mm -hmm. way, like you talk to people around basketball, both on the college level when he was at Florida and on the NBA level, since he was with the blue and now with Oklahoma city, they'll tell you he's a really, really good coach. Like Mm -hmm. he was, one of the guys like when he was at Florida that would consistently get brought up as one of the best assistants in college basketball. Hmm. Um, and that was God, how long ago was that? Like seven years ago, something like that. Maybe I nine it was longer years ago. ago. Like I think it was eight or nine yeah. years ago. Yeah. Um, so has had this reputation for a while, but you watch it bear itself out on the court. There are a lot of guys that have that reputation from other coaches and it just doesn't result in, 
the look, it hasn't resulted in wins wins yet for yeah. Dagnalt for sure, but that's mm-hmm. due to talent level. But like you watch them on the court, it's very clear that he is doing the right things and is preparing the team in the best possible way that he can in order for them to have the level of success that they can both developmentally and in terms of the wins that they can get at the very least. Right. Yeah. Oftentimes with coaches like, but like with coaches, I feel like it's hard to get that buy-in a lot of Mm -hmm. the time uh, when you're in a tanking situation, like some guys just won't take the job uh, and it's hard sometimes to get good coaches in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, How much of this is replicable, I guess, across other markets, like finding your, Mark Dagnall, who, look, at some point he is going to be judged based on wins and losses, and we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Based off of what I've seen, I think he's probably going to be pretty successful. Mm -hmm. But we don't know that yet, for sure. So uh, I just raised my question, like, how how do you go about evaluating the right coach? How do you find the right coach for this situation? Yeah, Mark is so, he's so unique in so many ways that it is hard to replicate because he was... He was the blue coach for a long time. And he's a guy they yeah. got to as, as much as like the Thunder get to look at guys right now that are playing for the blue. They got to watch Mark in action for a long time and saw how he developed guys. They saw how he worked one on one with guys. He saw how they worked as a group and they really like him. And he's also a guy who you look at his journey to the NBA this dude's not getting an NBA job from anybody else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Probably he, not. he is, I mean, he was going to be a college professor. Like that's what his job track was going to be in, in like an alternate universe. He's just a professor some at some university on the East coast. Like that's what he is. And through just kind of some crazy events and through really Sam Presti kind of being obsessed with Billy Donovan and being obsessed with the Florida program, he gets offered the blue job and gets brought up and he and Sam are alike in a lot of ways and that they both think the same way. They think like in incremental progress, they think big picture really well. And I think they're both like really kind of motivational characters within the organization. Like mm-hmm. you listen to Mark talk for like five minutes. You're like, man, like I can run through that wall right now. Like he's just like, he just yeah. makes you feel good about yourself. And I, the players love, like the players speak his language and like have been for a while. You, they get up on the microphone. They're, they're just saying things that Mark says to them all the time. And it's, it's just kind of funny to listen to these young guys who don't, they're, some of them aren't media trained. They don't know really what to say or what to do. And they just kind of fall right. back on the things that they hear Mark saying, which I think is pretty cool. Well, and it's funny. He, like like Josh Giddy is like a really, really smart human being. Very smart. But like yeah. doesn't have like media training traditionally, yeah. mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Like I've seen like some of his clips and it's just like clearly like, oh, yeah, this is just like coach speak and it's great. Mm-hmm. But like yeah. sometimes his personality comes out. Like it's it's really fun to watch Josh Kitty uh-huh. in front of the microphone because uh, like he, yeah, he does yeah. not look comfortable, but it's also like a really smart person who isn't comfortable. So, yes. Yeah. Well, and I, I think one of the guys I look at with regards to like how good of a job that Mark has done is Trey Mann, who. Mm, yeah, like, I was not hand up. I was not a Trey Mann fan. Yeah. He, 
didn't defend anybody and didn't get his athleticism into games like he could have. And there, there were just a lot of question marks with him coming in and the way that Mark used him and managed his minutes and still continues to manage his minutes. is just really interesting because there will be games afterwards where it's like Trey plays 10 minutes and it's all in the first Mm -hmm. half. And he was like, yeah, he made that defensive mistake and I pulled him and he didn't. And because of that, he's not going to, he didn't get to play the rest of the game. You know, and with a lot of players, you think like, oh, my gosh, like what a jerk. Like he's that's going to that's not going to be good for their relationship. And you look at just watching those two on the sidelines, like Trey came up from behind Mark last night and just put his arm around him at a timeout. And they're just like chatting (laughs) like like they're like they have a good rapport. And so Mark is. I think he understands what he needs out of his guys and, and how they're going to be successful and communicates that to him. Like he, he is communicated. He said that the only, one of the only video sessions where he showed Trey video that wasn't of the thunder. And he was like, I'm not going to tell you who the other, I'm not going to tell you who the other team was, but he said, I used another team. He's like, it was somebody just getting cooked on defense over and over and over again, Mm. where it was a, a lead guard, basically calling for the switch for a particular player, like four possessions in a row. And he said like, Trey, this could be you. Like that could be your career. And Trey has really taken to, to Mark and Trey has really wanted to do what Mark says and is becoming a successful player so far this season because of that. I mean, at the beginning of the season, Trey couldn't get separation from players. He was getting his shot blocked. Defensively, he was a mess. He wasn't ready to play in the NBA. Like, he was a G League player. And now you watch him, and he is passing and creating space whenever he wants. And he's not a good defender, and he may never be a good defender. But he's at least in the right spot, and he's at least going to try. And those, those two things were going to possibly dictate his career because he you have to at least be in the right spot and you have to at least like if the ball's out there like grab it you know those are the those are the things that mark wants him to do and so yeah i i how and how replicable it is with with a mark degnall i think i think if teams are willing to take the time like sam is and use your g league team to not only develop players but develop coaching talent like sure you could do yeah. it, but in just like a vacuum, like you're talking about like plucking a guy, an assistant coach off of a college <laughs> roster. It's like, that doesn't happen. And like bring make him your yeah. NBA coach. Yeah. Like that just doesn't happen. So I think, I think it's more difficult. I think that that's why you see guys like Chauncey Billups getting jobs. And it's like, Oh, I know that guy. He played in the NBA. Right. He should know what to do. You know, like Mark Degnault was n- He's just the most unlikely NBA coach in the NBA right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. The last thing before we talk about the Thunder for 10 minutes and just their organizational direction, I want to come up with a to-do list for how to maintain fan base uh, engagement with a tanking, losing team. Okay. Okay, so... I think that the first thing here is directly communicate with the fans, yes. right? Agreed. Communicate with them, be open, be transparent, be honest, say this is the direction we're going in. 
Yep. This is what we need to do. This is how we're going to do it. And I think it's very difficult to have that conversation with fans oftentimes. And yeah. I think that at the end of the day, though, that honesty is really important. Is there mm-hmm. any, any any corollary that you would throw to that? No, I mean, communicating what a potential timeline could look like, too, I think is important as yeah. well. Like understanding that because a lot of I think Thunder fans even get get confused at times where they're like, well, OK, well, if we if we draft Chet Holmgren, like, then we're ready, like we're ready to go. And it's like, like actually, no, <laughs> like, probably not, no. not ready yet. Uh, it'll probably be in the timeline that I've continually put it on is like summer 2023 is likely yeah. the time where maybe they'll start spending draft picks for players that help today. I yep. don't I would I would be floored if it was before that. Yeah. Number 2. When you're making this transition, when you decide to make this transition, I think you basically have to go all in. Yeah. You can't you can't do half measures here. Like you can't decide okay, we're going to move if, if we have two stars, we're going to move one star and not move a second star. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to keep, uh, you know, in the case of the Thunder. Right. We're we're not going to move Paul George and then keep Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Right. We're going to move all in on what we're doing. We're going to rebuild and we are going to set ourselves up within those moves with assets that allow us to accumulate assets and accumulate further assets down the road to set ourselves up for long term viable success. Do you have any other uh, corollary to that one? Um, I I do not. No, I think that's right. Okay. I, and, and I think some Thunder fans would even take it a step further with where the Thunder are. It's like, I don't know that they've gone all the way in. Like, they could go further. Like, they could have traded could Ken they? Rich and, and Muscala. That's <laughs> I'm telling you, this is like how psycho we are here. <laughs> it's like, we want... And, and right now, a lot of Thunder fans aren't satisfied with the fourth worst record. Like, they want the worst yeah. record and the thunder haven't they haven't been the worst team two years in a row they haven't been the worst team and they wound up with the sixth pick last year and ended up working out fine for them it could have been yeah. better they could have evan mobley right now and things look a lot different if you have evan mobley over josh giddy uh, so I, I do think that there's there is a sense of are they are they not bad enough um, so yeah, I, I do think that, that, that has been going on throughout the fan base quite a bit, actually. That's so interesting to me because they're pretty bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's just be real with it. They're pretty bad. We want to be the best like, at being bad. <laughs> but like, here's the thing. Lottery odds are so flat now that like, yeah. I, I don't know that. I think that there probably are diminishing returns on being the worst team. To be yeah. honest, like yeah, being, and being completely incompetent, there are probably diminishing returns. And we, we've seen what it takes from the teams that are below the Thunder to get there. You know, there are times where things have completely fallen apart inside the locker room in Houston, where things have have not mm. been good. You know, on the court, there's there's a lot of frustrated fans. You know, in Orlando, there's a lot of frustrated fans in Detroit. You know, about the direction that they're heading, and I think there's less like organizational frustration with the thunder and it's more they worry about the odds and worry that 
and it's and some of it's not even the odds. It's just like how far you can fall. You know, having right. having the worst odds is it's sometimes it's not even about the odds. It's just about how far you can fall. And if you're sitting at four, you can fall pretty far. <laughs> if you're right. the, yeah, with you the fourth worst odds, if you have the the best odds, you're still guaranteed a top five pick. You know, right. I think that that's where it's like, uh, okay, like, do, are, are are you as collectively as a fan base, are we going to be okay if they wind up with the eighth pick in this right. draft? You know, I think that's that's where it's that's where it's dicey, and that's where fans are like, let's just go all in. Like, I'd rather just have the worst record. Right. Number three, organizational alignment across all pieces of the pie. You need to know that ownership is locked in to what the general manager slash president of basketball operations vision is. You need the coaching staff to be aligned with the basketball operations department's vision. And you need players that understand that this is a developing situation, not a win now situation. And while that might be frustrating, you need guys to have that just general alignment across all facets of the organization. I can't emphasize this one enough. I think that the alignment across the board is by far um, the most important part here Uh, because if something goes out of whack, and for instance, if Shea Gilgis-Alexander next year goes, fuck this, I hate life here and I'm Mm -hmm. miserable, that's going to create problems for Oklahoma City and it's going to set them back on this current trajectory. So you need that organizational buy-in to understand. And part of this is just over-communicating and making sure that everyone is on the same page. Mm-hmm. But you need that organizational buy-in about where the team is going. 100%. Yeah, that's, that's something that Thunder have going for them. And yeah, you if you don't have it, you, you end up in – purgatory honestly yeah. like you end up you're the, that's why the kings are where the kings are today is because yeah. they could never pick a, the direction and then they as a result you always end up with the eighth or ninth pick in the draft and then you always end up with that kind of talent and sometimes you hit sometimes you don't and you're still just yeah. you're just in the middle like you're just stuck yeah and that kind of goes toward the idea of being all in right yeah. like you need to be all in on this process. Otherwise you're going to end up in the middle. Like I think the wizards have ended up in the middle for the most part. Like you end up with Denny Rui and Corey Kispert in the last Mm -hmm. few drafts while having Bradley Beal. Um, Not to say Bradley Beal's like a bad player or anything, but like when you have Bradley Beal, I don't think Bradley Beal is enough to compete for a title either. Yeah. And a playoff spot for that matter right now. Right. In the East. So in the East, the East is good this year. Um, And look like step four here is just making good decisions, right? Like making analytically inclined decisions, uh, not getting too attached to, to your own players, I think is like a critical thing that a lot of teams do. Uh, Obviously every team that selects a player in the draft probably has that player just as high, if not higher than any other team in the league. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's the nature of drafting. You draft Mm -hmm. the guy that's highest on your board when you take them, but adjusting to new information, not falling in love, 
not just like being all in on that guy is so critical. And you do it and look like it's easy just to say, make good trades, hire good people. But like you can control that by being like a smart general manager on some level. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, a lot of that's uncontrollable. So, like, I don't want to, like, make that a piece of this, right? Like, that's not a smart, like, that's not, like, good analysis. Just, like, make good trades. Like, I think it's it's having accountability within the organization that you're going to, that you're going to make the right choice regardless of what pops up. And I think, I think that they've done a good job of that where it's like, hey, we have this threshold for this pick or for this player or for this, whatever, like as an organization, we're going to make the decision together to do this, you know, regardless of how we feel about this or that. Right. And and step number five here, and this is one that you kind of, this is probably the first one that you decide after you decide to go all in on this step is you identify a culture for the organization. Mm-hmm. You create a familial atmosphere within that culture, taking players that fit within that culture. Yep. And you stick to it and mm-hmm. you build that culture out. Cause I think that that's the only way you're going to keep people on the roster happy. It's the yeah. only way you're going to keep, frankly, basketball executives happy. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're good at this, you're hiring smart people. You want to keep smart people around, right? Mm-hmm. Same with coaches. You want to keep smart coaches around, you do it by keeping them happy and keeping them within a familial atmosphere. So um, I think that that culture aspect is so, so critical here. And I think Oklahoma City's done a really good job. And I think that that's ultimately kind of how you build a build a rebuilding situation that the fan base can buy into and that you can actually be excited about rooting for, even though they're not winning games. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that really does encapsulate the way the Thunder have done things to this juncture. Yeah. Okay. And I think all of those are like replicable on some level, right? Yeah. I I think that all of those are actually things that you can build to other organizations and make them work. So Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about the Thunder real quick. The Oklahoma city Thunder. Uh, are one of the more fun teams that I watch every time I watch them. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm, I just like have a smile on my face watching Josh Giddy. How <laughs> how excited have you been about watching the Josh Giddy development? It's been really fun to to see him actually get better, which is not incredibly common among rookies to be watching them in February and they look better than they did in October. A lot of them hit a wall. Yeah, he he really hasn't, and. Some of that, I think, is because he's he's not the most athletic guy. Like, he doesn't have to get his athleticism into the game. What he gets into the game is just how smart he is. And I think that yep. he's gotten a second and third look at a lot of these teams and has started to figure out what he can and can't do on an NBA court. And he's started to really thrive. They had that stretch without Shea, and he was – just filling the stat sheet every single night. Like he is probably an underrated rebounder at this point, a really good offensive rebounder. He finds the corners. I mean, the kind of passer that he is or that he could potentially be is like a top five passer in the NBA. 
in part yeah. in part because he's so tall uh, and so strong that he's just a weirdo. Like he's just one of the weirder <laughs> guys to watch in the league. He's got this hair that is just like flowing, and he's always putting it behind his ears. And he's it's feathered and lethal cotton. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he he kind of snakes. He's a little bit like Shea in that they kind of snake around yeah. the paint and find these little pockets here and there. Uh, he's got a floater game that he's he's working on. It's not perfect, but it's it's passable. And yeah. then he's just not afraid of anything at all. Like he's not okay. afraid to take a shot. He's not afraid to miss a shot. He's not afraid to. He's just not afraid of anything. He's not afraid yep. of defensive challenges. Like everybody, you watch him athletically, and you have every right to believe that he's not going to be a good defender in the NBA. Uh, however, he's making it work through strength. He gets by and how, right sm- now. And how smart he is. Yeah. He's yeah. not ever going to be a great defender, but he's been passable in year one as the second youngest rookie in the league, which is, he's you been know, impressive. I think he could be a good defender at some point. To be honest, like he's so smart and he's so big. Like, that's the thing. Like, he's he's going to get, he's going to get huge is the thing that I think most people don't understand is like, he's got this frame as a 19 year old where you're like, yeah, whoa, he's going to be a big, strong, he's going to have the, he has the full, the body of a forward and he's going to defend a lot of, I think he'll defend a lot of fours in like four or five years. Like he's going to be like, He's going to be the point guard on offense and he's going to be defending fours on defense. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. Like, I actually think he's probably going to be okay long-term defensively. Yeah. Um, he's, he's like shown enough already. I had to do a thing. I was telling you before I went and filmed something over here in Australia mm-hmm. yesterday and they asked me about Josh Giddy, And like the thing that I said was just, it's so rare for a player to step into the NBA as a teenager and for me to feel like he's immediately one of the smartest basketball players in the league in terms of the way that he sees the court. Yeah. Um, it, it's a genuinely elite skill for him. Um, I, I'm so impressed with him. I'm yeah. so, so impressed with him. Uh, in terms of Shea, like where, where are we at on Shea at this point? Like he's, he's very good. He's very talented. Um he scores the ball at a level that very few players in the NBA can score it. Uh, we're, we're good with where this is, right? Yeah, he he's come back. He's scored 30 points or more in the past three games since he's come back from his ankle injury. He yeah. looks lighter. like He's moving better on the court since he's come back. He, said, he actually said mm-hmm. last night that his cardio has gotten a lot better since the beginning of the season. And I think whenever they get better players around him, things are going to begin to look better for Shea as well. Yeah. Because right now he's playing with guys that nobody cares if, if they, if anybody else has the ball, it's just all about him and he's still finding ways to be efficient. And he, you know, they haven't played very, they haven't played very good teams. Like they, they did play the Suns, but they played against the Pacers, and they played against the Kings, and he just lit those teams up. The Kings yeah. had no answers for Shea at all. He was getting to the rim, and he, he got to the rim like five different ways, five different possessions, scored every single time. And there's yeah. nothing that they can do with him. And if he continues to hone those things, if they can get an elite play finisher next to him, then I think that we're going to see 
definitely an all-star level player. I don't know what, like a top 20 player, top 25 player in the league is probably where his ceiling is, Uh, but he's a really good player. He's bought in to what Sam wants to do. And I'm, I'm excited for the future with Shea because I do think that he he can be an elite type player in this league. It's so funny. I mean, I'm even higher than that. Like I'm higher on Josh's defense than you, and I'm higher on Shea than you are too. Let's go. I like like hearing that because I watch these guys up close all the time. Yeah. I think Shea can be like a top 15, like borderline top 10 player. If if the defense ever comes, he's not a good defender right now. Like that's the thing. Like people, people sometimes will look at him and say like, oh yeah, he's six, six. He like defends guards. He's a good defender. No, he's he's not very good on that end right now. But if that comes and you add in like 28 points a game, like that's a Mm -hmm. fucking great player. Like that's Mm -hmm. a, like, I'll be honest. I think his ceiling is higher than Donovan Mitchell's. I still wow. do. Okay. I that's like to take. I un- look, I understand that's a take. I understand <laughs> that that is something that like not everyone will agree with. Yeah. But just watching him play the way that he understands space, the way that he's developed as a shooter off of pull-ups, he's still not as good of a shooter as Donovan is off of pull-ups because I think yeah. that Donovan gets into his pull-up a little bit better than what Shea does right now. But Shea gets to the basket a much higher level. He's a much better finisher than Donovan. Um, I think the frame gives him more defensive upside if he ever figures that side of the floor out Mm -hmm. than what Donovan has. Um, Look, and like some of this is like foolhardy, like comparing guys to one another, right? Um, I think Donovan's elite. Like I think Donovan is a worthy all-star right now. And I think Donovan's a better player than Shea is right now. Mm -hmm. But given how much more room for growth is there is with Shea as a pull-up shooter still, I think, I don't know, man. Like, I I think there, I think that there is a lot of upside with Shea still. Like I I am, if you told me he leads the league in scoring at one point, like I think that that is like a one percentile outcome, like top of the top, like unlikely to happen. But like, if I was making a list of guys, that I think could do that at one point. Um, Donovan would be on that list too, but I, I think Shea would be on that list for sure. Yeah. Shea. And the thing about Shea is that he's not overpowering anybody with anything, but his pace, like yep. his pace is the thing that is elite about him because people have a hard time figuring out where he's going to go, what he's going to do, because he can slow down. He, he's a lot like James yeah. Harden, honestly. Like you watch him and James, like they're, they're quite similar in the way that they yeah. use pace and get into the lane. And he's starting, he's, he's starting to hit the level that he needs to hit to become a star, and that's drawing fouls. He was at the yeah. free throw line a ton last night. If he can continue to get 9, 10, 11 free throws per game, then yeah, he can get there. And if he can get, I think this next draft is really important for the Thunder because if they yeah. can get one more guy that matters, then I think that we that will unlock some stuff with Shea and with Josh, that they can both start to function a little bit more in a real NBA team rather than just like this theoretical team with guys that are good one night and G League the next night. Right. Look at you, professional podcaster. Unbelievable. 
because I was literally just about to segue into right now. Who is the prospect that you want most in the 2022 NBA draft? It's got to be Chet. You think it's Chet? Yeah. I get that. Yeah. I get that. I, I think he offers so much upside. I think I think Mark Degnault would do wonders with him on the court as a defender. I mean, you look at the way that they defended Demonis Sabonis last night with guys like Isaiah Roby and Olivier Saar. Like how many people are listening to this podcast right now and can picture what Olivier Saar looks like? I bet you maybe it's like 20 people. Like nobody nobody knows who Olivier Saar is. The, the Thunder forced Demonis Sabonis with those guys into eight turnovers and like eight or nine shots in the game, period, yeah. because of the way that they schemed. Like they completely schemed Demonis Sabonis out of the game. And they're doing it with guys that aren't good. They're doing it with guys that don't matter in the NBA. If they got somebody like Chet Holmgren, who's going to matter, who people are going to yeah. care about, who is going to be a really good defender at the NBA level, like, I think they could do wonders on the defensive end with him. And then offensively, like, he's – I don't even know what to say. Like He's just fun. And I think that he would run the floor with these guys. I think that – Giddy would find him and he's going to catch and he's going to finish, you know, just, I think a guy like that would be tremendous in Oklahoma city. I really hope he ends up uh, in a competent organization. Cause yeah. I think that that's like where he will shine the most is in a situation where they know how to scheme defensively. They can scheme with him defensively and, and like really take advantage of what his skill set is. Yep. The last thing here, uh, the shining light of this podcast, uh, the, the the one religion that we ascribe to is Pokuism. <laughs> how, 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 how bright is that light right now? How bright is the Pokuism light? I would say it was at a flicker at best a month ago where it was almost... But it wasn't dead. It wasn't it quite was dead. dead. It started... It, it's back. It's back. The, the light is back. It is not a bright light. It is not one that is going... It's not even probably one that will help you read a book yet. But it's bright enough to believe in at this point. Because over this last stretch, like he was in the, with the G League for about a month, yeah. came back, and he started to look better. He... He's finally shooting above 40%. I mean, I need to recheck and see if that's still true today. Because that was a that was a big marker for Poku. No, he's back below 39.7%. He was but he was above 40% for a hot minute, which he hadn't done in his career yet. Like we're, we've just been begging him to be normal bad for a year and a half. And he has started to use his athleticism to get into the game. He finished through contact last night. He dove on the floor for a basketball, which I hadn't seen him do. Uh, he's trying, and he wants to get there. He is getting stronger. He may not look like it, but he is getting stronger. He's bought into what the Thunder want him to do. Will he end up being an NBA player? I still have no idea, but he is incredibly fun. And even through this crazy one-handed pass last night that – Probably only Josh Giddy is the only other guy on the team that it could make. Like he still just has these flashes of just brilliance where you're like, holy crap, like this guy 
if, if he put it all together, he could be the best player on the Thunder. But it happens like, like 10 seconds out of like 5,000 seconds, you know? Right. So, right. I'm all in. No, I'm not all in. But like, <laughs> I, I am, I'm intrigued by Poku enough. Yeah. Like, look, like, I, I think they should play him out like through all four years of his rookie scale deal. Yeah. Like, I, I, think I don't they think will. they should decline the option by any yeah. stretch. Um, I'd be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I would too, given the way that I think they went into that. Um, it's just a fascinating player. Like the, the main rule with Poku is that there is between a zero and 100% chance that he will be a good NBA player at some point. Right. Um, I think that I'm still uh, somewhere within that range that yeah. there is between a zero and 100% chance. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoy watching him. He is, yeah. he's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and he's getting, I, and he's getting better and he, you know, we'll see. And, and when, when I say getting better, I mean, he can be on the court and not be an embarrassment. Like that's, that's the level that we're like at he, today. Yeah. Like that's, that's a big step though. Like being on the court with NBA players and yeah. not like looking like you shouldn't be there. It's a big yeah. step. Yeah. Um, Agreed. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Andrew Schlecht, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people where they can find you. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at Andrew K. Schlecht. You can listen to my Thunder podcast. It's called Down to Dunk. And then listen to the Athletic NBA show where you can find me in uh, various days. Definitely Saturday. Definitely Wednesday night. And then scattered throughout. Schlecht is the best, guys. Go follow all of his work and those various podcasts. Uh, go subscribe to the Game Theory YouTube channel. You can find that at Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vicini. Go subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we will be back later this week. Matt Penny and I are doing a mailbag episode. We decided the last couple of weeks we have not answered any mailbag questions because we have just done mock drafts and ended up in a world where we were um, going way too long. So we wanted to answer some of your questions on the draft heading into March Madness. So th that's our plan. If you want to send in questions, please send in questions now. Um, I will put out a Twitter uh, note as well on that probably tomorrow on my end. But until next time, we will talk soon. Bye. Bye.